Hi, guys. Welcome to the How I Raised It podcast, the show where you get an inside look at how real entrepreneurs raise capital for their businesses. I'm your host, Nathan Beckard, and today's episode is with Anshu Sharma of Skyflow. Skyflow makes a data privacy vault delivered as an API. Anshu has raised over $70 million for Skyflow, but he's also invested as an angel in over 70 startups. So we talk a lot about researching and targeting the right investors, testing your thesis, asking for advice, and much more. If you're tuning into this podcast, Learn How to Raise Capital for your business, I've created a super valuable free welcome package for you. It includes a list of 2,500 investors who don't require a warm intro, plus 200 questions that investors are going to ask you. This is really going to help you get ready to raise capital. To get access to this, please leave us a nice review in the Apple iTunes store. Hit all the stars, leave us a nice comment or two, and then email us at info at foundersuite.com, and we will send that to you right away. Last but not least, if you enjoy this conversation and think someone else would too, please share it with them and hit that subscribe button to get all our latest episodes. Thank you. Now sit back and enjoy this chat with Anju. Welcome to How I Raised It, the podcast that goes behind the scenes with entrepreneurs who've raised capital. We uncover the tips, tricks, and techniques they use to get investors to write a check. Strap in and turn it up. Hi, welcome to another episode of How I Raised It, produced by Foundersuite.com. Today I have Anshu Sharma of Skyflow coming to us from Palo Alto. How's it going? It's going really well. How are things going for you? Also really well. Well, thank you for asking. Um, let's get right into it. What does Skyflow do? Our mission is very simple. Uh, you know how every time you go to a pharmacy or an airline, or frankly these days even you're just buying a sandwich, they ask you for your phone number, social security number, credit card number, you know, all this information gets collected and then we just know it all ends up on the dark web eventually. So mm. it's been decades of doing this stuff and we just haven't solved the problem. And the reason is every company is trying to do it in their own way when there's a simpler way to do it. And so we were like, hey, just like you have an API for Twilio, you have an API for card data, you have an API for payments. Why doesn't there exist an API for things like social security numbers, phone numbers, and payment information. So we call that thing a data privacy vault as a service. And we sell this to customers who manage and store your personal information so it doesn't end up on the dark web. Interesting. Okay. And so uh, my next question is going to be, who's the actual customer? Is it the consumer or the the retailers collecting this information or, or both? Yeah. Our, our customers are businesses who are collecting the information. So think of the largest healthcare companies in, in the US, uh, think of the largest travel services companies globally. You know, they all end up with this personal information and we solve this problem for them. And and do they hire you or you know retain your services because they're worried about a data breach and getting sued? Is that the ultimate kind of driver or is it more of a business? So you know, part of my personality is I hate compliance businesses. I think they're a great way to make money for some kind of founders who want a quick flip. But for me, it was important that we build a foundational company that's going to exist, you know, 10, 20, maybe even 100 years from now. And so, yes, some customers are worried about breaches, but if that's all they were worried about, you know, I don't want to be in this business. What we are really for is businesses that want to buy a platform that addresses multiple challenges. You know, How do I take care of GDPR and data residency requirements 
which specifically say that Indian citizens' data can no longer leave India and Chinese data can't leave China. Mm. And if you've heard of the TikTok problem, which is like, hey, how can we trust TikTok? We've been spending billions of dollars, or they have been, <laughs> without solving the problem. There's an elegant solution to it, which is the consumer, when they're trusting a company like TikTok with their data, it shouldn't be in hundreds of TikTok databases, especially not in China. Instead, it should be locked up in a vault and be secured. So our customers are really large companies like Lenovo's of the world who believe that there's a right way to do this. And we are the company that can provide them with architecture. So it's usually more than one thing. Compliance is definitely part of it. Yeah, interesting. And I looked at your background a little bit. The next question I usually ask is, how'd you come up with this? Uh, you've got a pretty interesting, you went from Oracle to Salesforce pretty early on, and then dabbled in, in venture and investing, but now nice. you've started a startup years later. Maybe is, is there a short version of how you arrived at coming up with this company? <laughs> yeah, I mean, in some ways it's like a, the punchline is very simple. Uh, you know, Salesforce has most of the customer data for a lot of large companies. Oracle is a database where all of that gets stored, including Salesforce uses Oracle. But when these systems were built 30 years ago for Oracle and then, you know, SaaS applications like uh, that we built, Privacy wasn't a thing. And a lot of the data that people were collecting was B2B. So what I found was this is like a gaping hole. Like I said, there is no Twilio for PII. And so it became very clear to me, especially as I was working with some very, very large customers down to tiny companies. Like imagine if we're launching an online pharmacy to sell you know, diapers for babies. Like it could be as simple as that. And well, you'll end up with the baby's date of birth you learn with the mother's data birth, email addresses, credit card number. So I was like, this needs to be solved. This needs to be solved and existing platforms don't have the right architecture to do it because this problem didn't exist back then. Yeah. So that's one of the questions, you know, I know we're going to talk about investments and such. I always ask the question, like, why couldn't a big company do it? And, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, something didn't exist, like an iPhone didn't exist uh, before, um, you know, apps like Uber were built. But sometimes it's like, hey, last generation platforms didn't have this problem. Like, you know, there wasn't these requirements. We weren't worried about our Uber driver finding out my wife's phone number and then texting her late at night. So these problems have emerged now. So the last generation architectures don't have it built in. Interesting. Very good. Um, well, very good. Let's uh, let's jump into fundraising. How much have you guys raised so far? We were seventy million dollars, so we've been, uh, you know, lucky, uh, and uh, yeah, it's been a great experience. So let's let's go. We won't need to go into the super detailed weeds, but let's start with this. I mean, you've been in tech and been in Silicon Valley for a long time. When you first came up with this idea, how did you get it off the ground? Did you raise angel money? Did you use your own money? What? Yeah. So uh, we started this company in March of two thousand nineteen. Uh, the first couple of million dollars. Uh, you know, me and some friends and family and my co-founder put some of the money in. But very soon, we actually went out and raised a seed round from foundation. It was $6.2 million at the time at 31 million post. Um, but by the time we had assembled a team and I knew what we were building, uh, you know, I was trying to avoid the problem of chicken and egg, which is like, hey, you don't have anything and you want a good valuation problem. So since I was lucky with some of the exits prior to the starting Skyflow, I was able to bankroll it in the first few months. Yeah. And then what, how many rounds has this been? What are you on round-wise? We did seed A and B. Okay. 
And then, so who are some of the lead investors on, um, on the price rounds? Seed was Foundation Capital. A was Canvas Ventures, a great fund. Uh, and Series B was Insight Partners, one of the largest uh, venture capital businesses today. What was A? Say that name again. Canvas Ventures. Oh, Canvas. Okay, sure. Interesting. Well, your PR person mentioned, you know, as a theme, conquering funding mountain, talking about tips to win over investors, make your startup a, an easy sell, um, you know, to investors. Maybe talk about uh, some of that. Give us some tips, strategies that worked well in this fundraise. Was it go? Yeah. <laughs> I won't lead you too much. No, perfect. You know, I've raised three rounds for this. I started two other companies before this. I raised two or three rounds for them. Um, and then I've invested in about 70 companies now myself. So I've seen it both on, as they say, the buy side and the sell side. And right. I think people come up with all kinds of fancy ways to think about fundraising. But to me, um, there's really a simple essence to the whole thing, which is you really want to ask the question, uh, what is the logical case I'm making to this investor? Uh, I think there's lots of questions around the slide colors, formats, you know, whether you should talk about numbers or not. But before you jump to whether I'm talking about numbers at this stage or should I talk about the big vision? Is it all about TAM? You have to first ask, like, what's the thesis? In fact, that's how you should start your company. Like, what is the thesis for this company? And then the fundraise has to be in that context. So for us, at the seed round phase, it was the question I posed to our investors was, look, we all agree this is a huge problem. Facebook just got fined $5 billion that year uh, for not being able to handle privacy with Cambridge Analytica. So if all of these companies have this problem, why hasn't it been solved? Do you buy into the insight that I have that this is a fundamental problem yet to be unsolved? And if we could solve it, this could be a multi-billion dollar uh, market. And the answer was, we don't know if you can solve it, but if you could, yes, we agree. So that's the deck. Then the deck is, this is the problem. It's obvious if you could solve it. So now we have to just say, hey, given my background, my co-founder's background, is this the team? And it was very obvious. Who, who better to build this than a team from Oracle, Salesforce kind of people? And so I think that's how that round went. So every round I go raise money in, I always have a very clear reason and story of why you should make this bet. And with that seed round, we built our product, got our first few customers, and we proved it. So when it came time to Series A, it was like, hey, now that we have these customers, one of them was a CTO of Goldman Sachs with a startup, pick up this, pick up a phone, call up Bo Hartman, the guy who built Apple Card will tell you this product is amazing and he wish he had it when he was building Apple Card. While you make that phone call, who wouldn't make that phone call? When they made that phone call, that's what they heard. So that's how I go out and raise money, which is I'm very clear on what is the core of my thesis, and then I have data points to support it. Got it. So it's kind of qualifying the investor in some ways. Do you believe this is a big problem? Yes. Move to the next step. Do you agree my thesis could solve it? Yes. yes. Move to the next step. Do you believe my team is the one that could potentially solve it? Yes. Move to the kind of kind of a... Like yeah, that, and yeah. at every stage, it's a different question. So I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say you have a problem of people not being able to find jobs very easily. Well, you can't say this is the team that can do it because I'm a bunch of engineers, right? There, your insight have to be something else. It could be uh, 
uh, I remember meeting the founders of Handshake and you know, their insight was they were in college. They know what their university hiring programs look like. They were spending millions of dollars, but nobody was really getting any help. So in their case, it was their lived experience. So you can't repeat my formula, but you have to ask what is it that's unique about you at this stage? It could be revenue for some people. Like, look, I come from a very... So someone could go in and say, look, my resume doesn't really say anything. Maybe it's a bunch of companies you've never heard of. But here is a customer who wrote me a $600,000 check last year. Well, that's your case. Whatever the case is, you should be true to it because that's how you know you can get the money. Did you, kind of a tangential question, but did you ever get any pushback? The fact that you worked at Oracle and Salesforce, those are great names, of course. Everyone knows those names. But did anyone ever question whether you could launch a startup? Because a lot of people who come from very large companies aren't really startup people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not ready to name names, but there was one fund at our seed stage that gave us a verbal offer for like you know $50 million valuation. And they were an amazing tier one firm. And then when the deal went to the partnership, so the way these things work is typically a partner will be like leading your championing your deal, and then you go present to the partnership. Given my resume and the you know our founding team's resume, I thought it was a slam dunk. But then the feedback was essentially like, hey, these are big company people. You know, we want to invest in XYZ. To be honest, there's a little bit of an age bias thing going on because we had a developer platform. There's a little bit of like, hey. Salesforce is not as sexy as Stripe anymore. Like we want this problem to be solved, but maybe we want somebody out of Stripe and Uber. And as disappointing as that was, I learned something from it. So now I literally don't go to investors who only invest in 25 year old people. That's fine. That's their strategy. But if I go to homepage and every founder you've invested in is a, a Caucasian male, highly unlikely I'm getting a check from you. So there has to be mutual affinity and sometimes I'm not the right person. They couldn't figure out that I was the right bet. You know, God bless them. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, we've seen that kind of come and go. Like, you know, there used to be a, almost a bias against people too young. You know, like, you don't have enough experience. And then, you know, you Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg and a few others kind of it takes one big exit for them to change their recency bias. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, if <laughs> At that time, Stripe was hot. So we actually have a competitor who was one guy who's Irish. And he literally vaguely looks like one of the Collison brothers, went to the same, you know, grew up in this literally the same uh, town or area. And, you know, he got that check that I didn't get. So that happens. It's good. Motivates you. Yeah, sure. And you can't, you can't be everything to everyone, right? And I think that's one thing I talk to founders about sometimes is like, Sometimes you're just not, like you said, you're not fit for their thesis. Their thesis is slightly different or they're looking for a pattern that you don't fit and you can't be all things to all people. So just find the people that you do fit with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I tell people fundraising is not the time to be an evangelist and change people's minds. Like I, I work with a lot of female founders and I always tell them, look, that's not the time where you fight the woman battle. This is the time you look for people who are already investing in women. And then when it becomes successful, then we can go educate those people who said no. But right now, your time is best focused on people who are already in your camp because investing is default no. So if there's anything that they can default no say to no, they will. So you're best off 
targeting a certain kind of investor. Actually, targeting is is key to investing. Like I went through the list of venture firms. Now I've been investing for 10 years now, so I know most of the VC firms here. But I knew some firms were just obviously not a good candidate at that time for me. And so targeting, even targeting down to the partner, you know, some of the, I remember one or two VCs where I went to the right partner, but then they handed off to somebody else who came from cybersecurity background. Well, cybersecurity tends to be selling appliances, firewalls. We are not a traditional cybersecurity company. We are actually closer to what Twilio and Salesforce and Stripe are. So a SaaS investor is a better investor for us than a cybersecurity investor, even though you would think Skyflow being a data privacy company is closer to cybersecurity. Interesting. That's good. What else on this? Because I think this is really important. And I think we've got 40,000 startups on our platform. And I, I know people make the mistake of spraying and praying too, too wantonly without doing the targeting. So I'm always telling people, the more time you spend researching, targeting, the better. So other than looking at their website and kind of seeing, do they invest in, you know, only 25 year old founders? Do they invest in other stuff? Like, how are you kind of doing this targeting and research? So I think there's a valuable skill to learn for a founder at every stage, because how you find an investor is also how you're going to go find your customers. Mm. Uh, you know, spring and praying actually doesn't work uh, unless you have infinite capital or you get lucky. So, so how does invest uh, targeting work? In any domain, whether you're looking for a job, investment money, or finding a customer, pick something that you have high conviction in based on maybe the work you've done during the business. So let's say I want to go raise money for somebody to build a money transfer company, right? Well, the obvious first thing to look at is like who invested in the last few successful money transfer companies? Well, there's Stripe investors, Braintree investors, well, they are directly competitive, so maybe you can't go to them now. Well, who are the firms and partners who are similar to those people? Or the best I like is, has somebody exited? So Braintree got acquired and Venmo got acquired. Whoever was the lead investor in Venmo and Braintree, I can tell you, is really, really sad that they sold the company for only a few billion dollars because they can see that Stripe is worth tens of billions of dollars. You go talk to that investor for your money transfer application, Everybody else might be bored, but they made $60 million and a $2 million check last time. Boy, they'll give you another $10 million because they want to go for the big one. So that level of intuition is not very hard if you just start with first principles. You know, who would have missed this? Uh, maybe in our case, for example, it's not, as I said, a cybersecurity company. So, you know, like I talk about our product, it's similar in thesis to Twilio and SendGrid. So I went to Bessemer. I was like, well, you invest in SendGrid uh, and, and Twilio, would you like a check? Now, we weren't the right company for them at that right stage. Uh, I hope to be on their anti-portfolio list one day. Right. <laughs> uh, if Bessemer guys are listening. But it was the right firm and the right people. They immediately understood what we were talking about. They got the value. They could see how big it would be. And... That's what you want. You want to talk to investors to whom some of what you're going to say is so obvious that they start nodding your head. And then there's, you know, a couple of questions left, like, you know, do they like you? Do they want to invest in you particularly? But you're not going to educate somebody who's been investing in e-commerce companies to go suddenly invest in the next Palo Alto networks. It's the gap is just too much for you to bridge. 
Yeah, interesting. Well, there's a correlate or a flip side to this too. I'm always telling people, you got to do the targeting, spend the time on this, don't skip this step. But I also tell people, it's kind of a numbers game too. So, you know, and, and that's where maybe they hear, oh, we got to blast everyone. And the numbers game is, you know, I had a list of, I think, 50 or 60 firms. Okay. But I want to test my thesis. So I will pick literally two or three firms that I don't really want the money from, right? It's your like, you know, what do they call your backup school, right? Yeah. You go to them. If if I can't convince a friendly tier three firm to write to write me a check, the chances of a tier one firm writing a check at that stage are zero. So you do this rolling thunder kind of a thing. You you keep improving your message till it starts hitting enough. That's when you can go wide. You're like, okay, I'm close enough. I almost got a check from two firms. I mean, you did get a, a term sheet that you didn't like. Well, now you're ready. Now is the time for you to reach out to 20 or 40, you know, if you really want that wide of an audience. But day one, sending a blast email to 200 investors is a sign of desperation. Yeah, agreed. Interesting. Let's, so you've, you're on both sides of the, the, the table, the buy side and the sell side, you've invested in, what'd you say, 50 or 70 startups? 70 startups. Uh, some of them uh, people might know like uh, YC's, Algolia, YC's, Razorpay, uh, Nutanix that went public. I was a seed investor in Workato, uh, Techion. These are all the ones that are above a few billion dollars in valuation, um, but there's, you know, 65 others. So a couple, couple questions on this, because we don't get too many folks like yourselves that are both startup founder and investor. You know, when you're investing, what are you looking for and how are you finding these deals? Are you just going to YC Demo Day and cherry picking? Or are you, do you have a, a process for, for finding, cultivating deals? Well, I'm not part of the in-crowd, so I never got invited to the YC Demo Day uh, till actually uh, I had a couple of great exits. Now they invite me nicely. Um, hi, YC people. Uh, I think... To me, I didn't start investing because I wanted to be an investor. Uh, in fact, that's why I did it for a couple of years and went back to operating. I became an investor because one of the people I knew, Dheeraj Pandey, uh, was starting a company called Nutanix. And you know he had some of the round filled up and he wanted someone who could advise and help him. And so when I meet somebody that I like and I can understand their thesis, um, it becomes a natural conversation. And... That's not always the case. There are a few firms I've invested in because uh, I met them through somebody. But 95% is someone who comes to me for advice or because they could be a customer they like to hire. And as a result, if you see all of these companies, they're related directly to my uh, resume. So think about Nutanix, right? Tiraj Pandey used to work at Oracle, uh, and then he was building a cloud infrastructure company. Well, I was a Salesforce. I would be one of his ideal customers. Workato was building integration for SaaS companies. Well, Vigitella had somebody who I worked for at Oracle and he was going to integrate with Salesforce. Techion was a CIO of Tesla. People don't really like investing in CIOs because they think they can't build great product companies. But I was like, this guy is amazing. He survived Elon Musk and built an ERP in 60 days. He literally built an ERP in 60 days for Tesla. And so it also turns out he was my roommate for a few months, 10 years before that. And um, I just knew this guy is like insanely driven. And now his company is doing, you know, $100 million plus in ERR, I think. And uh, so phenomenal people 
but directly connected to what I do. I don't have the time uh, now, nor did I have it during my Salesforce days to actually go to accelerators and meet people. It just all happens organically. The last check I wrote was a friend of mine who uh, worked at Google. Um, I've known him because I've been to him for advice. He's come to me and he's building a great LLM company and they need actually an LLM privacy platform. So he came to me to solve that problem. We got talking and then I ended up writing a check. Yeah, interesting. You make it sound so easy. I know, I'm sure it's not quite as easy in reality, but um, they just fall into your lap. I love it. <laughs> they do. I yeah. mean, honestly, and that's not a luxury I, I get, but the way I tell people is the hard work for me is I'm always chasing what I love. So today that's SaaS, cloud platform, AI, LLM. Because I'm doing the work, I enjoy it. I'm working on usually cutting edge things. As a result, so it takes, you know, uh, my my partner, Sarika, she says sometimes, she's like, you don't work four hours a day or 10 hours a day, but you're always working mm -hmm, sure. because you're always learning. And I think it's the same thing with investing. I don't spend any single hour even on investing. This year, I've written five checks. I think I don't think I've had a single meeting that was dedicated to investing. But because of the work I'm doing, you know, chase your dreams uh, if you can and chase your knowledge. Uh, I invest because I want to be part of their story. That's interesting. So I like that. I mean, that all makes sense. You know, they kind of find you because uh, you're often seeking advice, et cetera. Like that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what kind of screening do you do when someone does approach you? Like what are questions you ask beyond like maybe just the, how the tech works and stuff like that? Do you do any other diligence process there is zero diligence uh you know i should write 25k checks now i've written checks all the way to 250k uh, if i feel like i need to do diligence on you i'm not a good investor because mm. i'm not a fund uh, you know i have a business to run if i have to make even one phone call to see if your idea is good i'm not the right investor so as a result sometimes i'm the first check that's the other thing, by the way, I advise uh, founders. Look for angels that actually are first checks. I've been a first check in a bunch of companies where nobody else would invest. Uh, Techion was one of them. I was literally the first check. Uh, and then there are other startups I invest in where I may be the second or third check, in which case I'm relying indirectly on the diligence. But I never, if I have to be the first check and I have to do diligence, that's a job. Investing is not a job for me. It's a hobby. Yeah, interesting. Um, all right, well, I won't keep you too much longer. We're going over time a little bit, but what, you know, multiple choice question, you can pick which which one you want to answer. What other fundraising tips do you have that maybe we haven't covered? Or are there any common patterns in the startups you've invested in that, you know, you're, you're starting to see a pattern develop, like they have XYZ and kind of as a template for founders, right? Like this is what it takes to be first check to, to attract the attention of first check. So two different questions, you can pick whichever one you want or even combine an answer. <laughs> Go. For me, I'm looking for clarity. And it's a weird word because at seed stage, you almost never have clarity by definition. But what I'm looking for is, are you the team that can bring clarity to that market? So if this is super early stage right now, like with LLMs, 
the companies I've invested in are people who have domain expertise. So they have clarity on what they want this magical new thing to do. They may not know how to build it. That's their clarity edge. Uh, in case of Workado, these people had built Tipco's integration platform, worked at companies like Salesforce. They were like, all of the integration players at the time were mid-market. And they're like, they don't have the skill set to support the enterprise. That was their clarity. So I'm looking for someone who has an insight that leads to clarity. Because in the early stages, it's all so mushy. And to me, that, that's a good test to pass for yourself too. You shouldn't start a company if you don't think you're bringing clarity to a market. Yeah, interesting. Very good. All right. Well, this is super useful. I, I guess I just, I have to ask this. Do you, would you want people to reach out to you? Like if they hear this message and maybe they think you're in the, the right spot or is, or do you prefer to have people? Yeah. Knowing, knowing her, after hearing what they've heard, they should certainly feel free to reach out. Uh, but they should know that I almost never invest off of a cold pitch. What does work is, you know, if you're following me on Twitter at Anshu blog or on LinkedIn, we build relationship or, you know, somebody in common, all of those things work because I'm not going to take a you know meeting from a stranger uh, because you know I'm spending 60 hours a week trying to make Skyflow successful. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Good, very good. Well, interesting stuff. If people want to learn more, um, it's simply skyflow.com. Uh, skyflow.com and um, at Anshu Blog. Say that one more time. At Anshu Blog, like a blogger. Yeah, that's your Twitter or that's your. Uh... And my company's name is skyflow.com and my email is CEO at skyflow.com. Wonderful. Well, cool stuff. This is great. Congrats. Uh, again, you make it all sound way too easy. <laughs> I, I'm, you're, you're like the duck. I'm going to call you the duck that looks so graceful top of the water, but paddling furiously below the water. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not, but um, uh, cool. Well, thank you so much. This is good. And hopefully we'll catch you after your, uh, your next round and see what's going on. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun to do this with you. Good luck and look forward to listening to the podcast. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks, Anshu. Over now. Bye.